At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yeah, I've been doing it for better part of 30 years now. So, yeah, it's my uh, it's my sanctuary, my love, getaway, you know, everything that is me is is that water is that it's just fishing in South Florida in general from offshore to inshore. This is Captain David Cohen and this is the Tom Rowland podcast. everybody welcome to the podcast today this is going to be a fantastic one i met this individual at LunkerCon and uh went to LunkerCon. and one of the things that i liked about LunkerCon was i got to meet a lot of different people a lot of people that listen to the podcast a lot of people that watch the shows a lot of people that are just great fishermen and as it turns out with this gentleman a lot of people who are just genuinely really nice guys love talking to them and uh when i met our next guest david cohen captain david cohen i decided i wanted to do a podcast with him we have a lot of things in common but he is just one of these guys that's just got um a lot of enthusiasm infectious enthusiasm very positive attitude infectious enthusiasm the kind of person i like to be around so wanted to get together with david and uh we did just that so stand by for david cohen captain david cohen right now the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by john browning the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the u.s military from 1911 to 1985 while colt produced the original Almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Okay, we're live. Awesome. Captain David Cohen. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. We made it happen. I, uh, I had my doubts. I came from Sarasota over to Miami today. Um, I don't know Miami very well, and it was not a good idea to come at five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a nightmare. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, so you fish right out of here? Is that are Correct. we close to where you fish? Yeah, yeah, a little. I fish a lot more uh, north. I fish south as well, but um, I primarily primarily fish out of North Biscayne Bay and a little bit south to Government Cut. And um, yeah, I've been doing it for 
better part of 30 years now. So, really? Yeah. Right on. A, yeah, it's my uh, it's it's my sanctuary, my love getaway. You know, everything that is me is is that water. Is that is just fishing in South Florida in general from offshore to inshore. But uh, yeah, we'll get into it. But I primarily now is guide uh, inshore mm-hmm. out of uh, same waters that I fished when I was a child in the nineties, which is yeah. pretty awesome. And so what you grew up, you grew up in Miami. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. Um, but, um, my grandma had a, uh, little condo. Um, and I used to go there, um, to, to just go for Thanksgivings and just the holidays. I didn't go there that as much as I'd like in the early years when I was 10, 12 years old. And then, um, and about, 13, 14, I, uh, I always bass fish for peacock bass because uh, I lived in West Broward. So that's what kind of turned on in the late 80s. I started fishing for those and it was in my backyard. And I even caught on to catching the little bait in the trap and turned out to be just going to golf courses. And, <laughs> you know, I would just take my bike and go for the whole night until I had to come home for dinner and some great fishing on oh, golf courses. Yeah. Oh, these golf courses too. And they were at that time, 20 or 30 years old. Um, and they're just, I heard stories from next door neighbors and hula poppers and all this, you know, cool top water plugs, which I always, you know, love to throw even in when I was in my adolescent years, just real young years. And, uh, I, um, came out there and, and there happened to be peacocks in there too. And big, you know, close to 10 pound large mouths yeah. at the ready. And, uh, so that's what kind of got me started in fishing. I was talking to somebody on this podcast about the introduction of the peacocks. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was, I, I it was, I know from just looking at the history of it, I think it was 1984 to, to get rid of the tilapia and, um, just pretty much get in there, take them to get rid of one species. But it turned out that they became this ultimate game fish and went from a couple canal systems. I think it was the one that bothered me is the C11. And that worked into a lot of the lakes and um, golf courses. And just, they just managed to work their way in. People transported them. And before you know it, it, they were, uh, people didn't like, actually in the year, early years, they didn't like them because hmm. they ate the largemouth babies. And you, when, once a peacock got introduced, um, it would take over and uh, there wouldn't be large largemouth there anymore. But they've managed to, I mean, you, there's lakes where they're both, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. There still is. Nice. But I, I'd say once a, you know, a good largemouth lake doesn't have peacocks in it because for whatever reason they don't they just can't get the numbers that they need there there is some lakes out there you still could get a 10 pounder and then there's peacocks in there Mm. too but even to this day the ones i think even the golf course lakes i don't want them to be i don't want peacocks introduced Mm. there because large mouse even those golf they just don't they don't get quite as big and i don't know you know but uh, do you think it's inevitable that the um the clown knife fish that I'm seeing so many pictures of and they're getting really big in, but, but to my knowledge and I'm still waiting to catch one. Um, I, I know I've told this story before on the podcast, but I had one of those when I was in college, it was about six inches long in a, in an aquarium. So I have a real affinity to that fish. I want to catch one, but I haven't done it yet. But do you think that it's um, inevitable that they will do the same thing and, and spread 
throughout? I, I, I think so. Um, the way the way that it seems like this, these systems work is these fish just, I you know, as, as long as the temperatures are right. And, you know, we had a couple kills with the peacock bass in the early 2000s where a lot of the lakes lost their bigger fish because once it gets below, you know, 37, 38 degrees, they just, I've seen it. I, I remember tearing up at some of my lakes when I walked over there and I saw all these seven pound, eight pound peacocks mm. just lined up, smell of it. And Dang. it just, oh, it's, I mean, I, it was the lakes that hold are so dear to my heart. And I would go there and when, if they could stay in a day or two, but after three, four days, if it stays cold, which hasn't happened in not good one in a while. Since 2010, probably. Yeah, 10. But they just belly up. I mean, all the pea large mouse will be cool. They're cool with it. But the peacocks, they're just, they can't hang. And uh, yeah. I mean, it, really, this is probably fairly close maybe how far north do they go i was going to say this is somewhat close to the northernmost portion of the of the peacock range i mean we're talking a couple hundred miles anyway right yeah yeah it's uh the the southern mode actually they, they go they range from here no they're around here miami holds mm-hmm. tons. Heard, tons some of the biggest ones i have never actually really targeted peacocks in all my years here but i know um i see monster mike on instagram there's a lot of these guys <laughs> that catch these studs consistently and um there's always been that battle are they better bigger in broward or bigger in miami yeah. and i don't care as long as they you know they're they're, they're a bit but there's just depends on where you go, like anywhere in, in fishing, you know, some yeah. lakes just have that DNA of a fish that could get over that seven pound range. So and- they're, they're close to the Northern portion of their range while the largemouth extends way to the North. Like yeah. This yeah. is, this is South. So of course they can handle, you know, cold water. Yeah, like yeah. it's no big deal. In oh. fact, they like to fish for them. Like they set a bunch of bass tournaments up in the wintertime. It seems like a terrible time to fish for me, but I don't know. Bass guys love it. Yeah, no, they love it. I know. I've never been into the also the which I would love to take the boat my boat out there and do the Lake Okeechobee scene and just I know there's just I mean I grow up those Roland Martin was one of my biggest inspirations for fishing even before I got into you know my eight nine ten early years before I got into saltwater. Um, Roland Martin was it. I, I loved Bill Dance as well and all those guys Jimmy Houston and um, but I I. Um, yeah, Roland Martin was big, so that's what kind of got me. Just his enthusiasm, son, and just that yeah. delight. Just get there's something on the screen with him. He was he's an interesting guy, man. Well, I enjoyed having him on the podcast, and uh, he's got so many stories. Like I, I once shared a car with him over the weekend, and he just told stories the whole time. Like he never stopped telling stories, awesome. and and he didn't tell the same story one time, and. It just, every story reminded him of another story. And he was like, <laughs> and it was cool for me because like you, I watched him as I was growing up. And uh, so now here I am in a car with him. We're going around to these Bass Pro Shops, um, spring classics. And I find myself riding around for hundreds and hundreds of miles with him. And cool. there was not one moment of silence the whole time. He is the nicest guy. I really, I really like him a lot. And uh, he's a very interesting guy in that like, He's a true outdoorsman. Like he's a great bass fisherman, of course, but he's also a great saltwater fisherman. He's sure. a great tarpon fisherman. He's a great turkey hunter. I mean, if you want to find out if if you want to talk to him about something that really turns his crank, <laughs> talk to him about turkey hunting. Man, he will go on and on. Oh yeah, bass fishing, tarpon fishing. That's great. Turkey hunting. That's what he Gets likes to talk about, or at least maybe maybe the season was coming up or something. But he he loved it. He makes his own turkey calls. He hunts them in lots of different places and different states and different different 
areas. I don't know. I had a really good time with him. He's a he's a good dude. Um, certainly, certainly a, a, a real Florida outdoorsman. Yeah, you could just his enthusiasm is has always been you know second to none, and that's uh, you know he always started as. I, at least for myself, um, you know, before I was fishing, when I was fishing, I'd always get inspired by, they didn't have social media back in the not early nineties, <laughs> obviously. So you waited, I was telling my dad the other day, um, to just wake up. I just, even as a 12, 13 year old kid, I'd set my alarm clock for the ESPN from like 6am. It'd be done by nine 30. So I'd watch. And then that's when I started to get into the Spanish Jose Wahebi and Walker's K Chronicles. And those were those two shows just stick out in my in forefront of my head that I would just I'd watch and um, I always wanted to saltwater. My dad tried to take me saltwater fishing from piers. We never had a boat growing up, and I went just I went on a couple you know those deep deep sea boats you know uh, drift boats and got sick in the back. And <laughs> I never really was into I tried, wanted to be, but I never really caught a lot of fish. And then um, this gets me to where I'm starting now is when my saltwater fishing career started is I was thinking I was 13, 14, and I went to my grandma's and I've been there countless times. It's there's a condo that's been there since the sixties. And um I decided I remember it was a thanks November. It was like in Thanksgiving time and I had a top water plug, which is my bass tackle. And <laughs> I went over to like this pond, you know, it's a intercoastal and it leaks out into this pond, a little estuary. And I walked up and saw a couple logs there which were snook just just lined up you know and i didn't even even know what a snook looked like in the water at that time and i threw my plug out those guys were real spooky they didn't want the plug i threw out in the middle and um it was a jack big jack that came along i mean back then there were or you get them up north. You don't get them quite as much down south here, but those big 20, 30 pound jacks Dang. and crushes my plug, screaming my line, almost spooling me. I'm running. It's a little pond where I could actually, my line could in. I could walk, run around to the other side of the pond and I'm fighting it. I lost that one, but that got me hooked. And, and after that, I went back uh, for, for 20, for till now, but you know, for at least, uh, all my middle school years into high school, I was played football and I'd go out with my football for everybody after Friday night games would go and have fun. And I would bring my tight end buddy, Chris Decker, he's a big six, eight, two eighty. He was a monster, <laughs> but, uh, and I'll get to him in a little bit, but he, he comes from a fishing family in the keys. So, um, that sparked a relationship with us, with saltwater fishing. And we got into, learning how to just upgrade my tackle and you know i caught a couple smaller jacks and then i started hooking to tarpon and i started hooking to snook and it is and i lost i would say my first 50 tarpon at least maybe 100 tarpon <laughs> I, I would just hook them on my light line and and even back then it was 10 12 pound test and i didn't know the leaders yet i remember going to the shop finding the double uni to tie that on to put my trace of 40 or 50 on and before you knew it I was like 14. I caught my first 13 or 14. I finally managed. I got a baby poon. Nice. And yeah. And then that's, um, you know, it progressed into getting a, ca um, a cast net. And uh, that's where, um, that's where I got this 
I must, I don't even, I don't talk to him anymore, but his family were, he had a couple uncle, big uncles, and they had a place in Venetian Shores in Isle Morata. And he'd invited me one year and um, they did all the black fin tuna on the hump. And I was like, still like 14 and Patrick's mutton snapper fishing and, and um, started me, he says, you're going to throw the net and we got to go into the thing. And he, they came, started with the big net. It was like, eight ten foot i didn't even have a little net mm-hmm. i'd start they're like you're gonna throw this big net and we start i got half open and back then there's so much blood you let it go out and started to catch fish and i said man there's finger mullet there and we got a i got a six foot or first or eight foot six foot to start and started catching mullet and then i transported my bucket and then that's when game was on i found mullet and a place that <laughs> old people lived and Nobody fished it. It was all for me for for and that's Venetian Shores. No, or, or, no. Oh, and this is the uh I'm getting back to where I fish in, yeah. in North Miami is yeah, this place they would kick anybody out that was on there. They'd run the boats off. So these tarpon and snook and everybody were very happy there. And I'd go there year round, no matter what cold weather. You uh, could fish there because your grandparents lived, lived there. there. Exactly. Right. And it, you could walk this whole stretch and I would just walk it. From Friday night till they picked my parents picked me up on Sunday, and I'd go in the morning until the afternoon till I'm exhausted. My grandma would cook me some food, get a bakery, and uh, you know, give me some some bread or whatever. She didn't have much, but she always, you know, she fed me a little bit, and then uh, and then I'd be off in the evening, and I did that. You know, I I always people say I wasted my years away, but I did, I turned around now. I'm actually guiding in the same area. But yeah, I wouldn't say you wasted anything. <laughs> yeah, that that story reminds me of going to my grandmother's house, and she didn't know anything about boys. And I think they had me working in the backyard, and I was working like all morning, like digging and doing some labor. And she's like, "Come on in for lunch," and she served these little finger sandwiches that were like about an inch wide and they had like just a, just the lightest spread of pimento cheese you could possibly get on these pieces of bread. And there were like three of them. And I was like, Oh, like, okay. So I ate all three of those, like almost in one bite. And she made three more and she just could not believe that what a little boy eats. Like, I don't know. Three finger sandwiches of pimento cheese is not going to get the job done. So that was, uh, that's funny. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Uh, But hopefully your grandmother had a better, better lunch. Yeah. Yeah, A little bit. She was very, she worked until her later years in a department store in Lane Bryant. until she was 85. She never came from much, but she always managed to get me food, you know, God rest her soul. She was just always, she, even when she didn't have it, she gave it to me. And yeah, it's, uh, it's very, uh, it's always nostalgic going back in there just from, you know, it's, it's so many memories of this fish ate there and there, yeah. and, you know, I don't tell the clients that cause you don't want to tell a client anything before it happens. Oh, these big fish are here. And then they, there's nothing there. But yeah. in the back of my head, even I went out last night and I'm thinking of how many, uh, it was a repeat client. So I could say that, you know, to him, I'm like, you know how many fish I've got on this little stretch of dye, this little, you know, I used to this one Fish lined up, and I found out later years when I got a boat. You know, you see the GPS and look. Oh, there's a 35 foot ledge there in the middle. There's not a 35 foot ledge in this whole bay, and there they are, and they're just picking off the mullet that they like to, uh-huh. you know, hang out right in there. I didn't know at the time because it's the middle of. Yeah, you but know, you found the good spot. I've been with guides before where things just are not going well, and they are so sure that you know, like in Louisiana or someplace that I'd hadn't fished before 
you know, a long time ago and you would go there and they're like, this point, this is the one. And you just keep casting, keep casting, keep casting and nothing's happening. And you can just see the guide like, what, how, why is this happening? Like it always happens here and it's not happening today. It's kind of a, a, a weird thing to see someone go through that. Like, and you've never been to the spot. You don't know any different, Mm -hmm. but there's something about that spot where it should be happening. That's a soul killer. Yeah. It's a soul. But now I've realized, I realized even then, because as soon as I got a boat with a little motor that took me off, I realized the same things that are right that spot that I used to have no access to are here, here, here. And that's the, that's the game is you gotta, you gotta not think like, even even if I'm not a client myself, I don't want to stay there anymore. I know they might be there, but I want action too. I want right. to go and catch a fish immediately. And I can only imagine how that client feels not being a tarpon fisherman or snook that wants to wait 20 minutes, 30 minutes for a bite. We're going to go over here, try try another, and at least you know, you're trying. And more often than not, the fish are... If they're not in A, they'll be in B or C, D, E, F, and G. And then, you know, that's what, you know, that's what being a guide's about is just... You know, I always, I love it now. I'm just trying to find new things that new ways, techniques that I could switch up to produce. And then that's the most gratifying thing I think now in school is when you come home and you're like, man, I was right there, but I didn't do it this way. And I always did it this way. And then you figure it out and then you just put it in your bag in your arsenal. And, you know, what do you think are some things that you figured out that, that opened up? Like I can think about things in my guiding career where I learned a little piece of knowledge, a little piece, just a tiny little piece. And it opened up a door to like this whole thing that I didn't even know about before. And then you just start picking off the spots. What do you think? um, Have you had something like that happen? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, Man, you know, I would say that one of the top things I'd say in the past eight, 10 years and I did it in my earlier years, but not as much now is I, um, I start soaking bait. I start wherever I'm live baiting. I'm usually, I'm a mullet guy, unless it's the winter time on fish shrimp and mullet, but not live mullet. I realized that they eat a chunk. If it's freshly, if it's fresh, just a head and a, and this is for all these, my you guys are going to open up their eyes now, but <laughs> it's the truth. If you have, a, even if you have a live bait and a lot of times I'll just put them away, but you put a chunk down there and the same, if you're there rolling and you got live fish and you got live pilchard, whatever you decide to throw thread fin herring and you put a chunk down, fresh bloody slap and cut his head into a belly strip, you know, the bitten, the bold mullet of the best, not a finger mullet, but a nice, nice size mullet. And you just hook it to the tip of the top. And you let that rod just sit in the rod holder and chill as you're, and that, whatever system, and that's what I, I did it. I used to do it in the cooler months because I figured out, oh, their metabolism's slow. They're not going to chase down a mall. That's the problem. Oh, let me throw a chunk down and I get hit like crazy. But then I started <laughs> to implement that into other spots and start to, oh, what if I go here and try the same? I get blown up there all the time on mall. Sometimes they don't need it entirely. And it, you know, it's, it's not the most glamorous and, you know, you're sitting, you know, I like to always tell my clients, I have a live fish because people want to have the live bait out. But at the end of the day, I'm smiling. I'm looking at the dead bait rod. I know <laughs> the dead bait rod is going to go off, you know, more often, at least in especially Miami. And, um, that happens a lot in the keys too. I yeah. mean, like the, I, I remember going, spending all this time catching mullet. And as soon as we caught them, Rich started chopping them in half. And, uh, that's what he had, he had learned the same thing. Like, man the the tarpon are up on the surface they're rolling but 
they're eating they're chunks eating. on the bottom. Like nobody's catching any fish. Put a chunk on the bottom, and it happens. But it, it, it there we kind of learned that it, it was really tide specific. Like if you can get it to where the tide's slowing down, that's when they really seem to, or, or they probably like the chunk all the time. Mm-hmm. But that's when it looks the most natural. It's when it doesn't look like it's just being held in the current or whatever. And and we were getting a lot more bites. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, what else? And, and yeah, that and, yeah, and I know just and I'll tell you more in a sec. But I noticed in the for what I the slack tie doesn't work with the chunks most of the time. It doesn't not work, but it seems to be at the end of a tide mm-hmm. or the beginning of a tide when it's just fluttering. And I still don't get it because it's not on the bottom. My bait's in the rod holder, and sometimes I'll do I want to keep the flail open and let it just float back there or close it up and lock, but I feel like I'm locking it up. It's gotta be floating like ten feet above the water. How are they eating? But they eat it for whatever reason. <laughs> they they like they don't mind when it's up in the air just hanging out. Well, they but, got a great uh, nose yeah. too. I mean so they get down current of that and smell it. And you throw multiple chunks out. You get yeah. them going. Not too much for sharks, but occasional trickle like anything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, keep it going and they come. Um, I'd say, you know, fluorocarbon was huge when that got introduced. Um, finding the right um, circle hook that works for you. You know, the, like, um, you know, there's so many circle hooks. Some I feel like the circle hooks are great. I love, I've been just such an advocate of them since their introduction. They're just so good on the fish. Anybody that's tarpon fished enough has unfortunately, I hate to say it, you know, a fish that you don't think is going to make it. And, you know, that it started when you catch a lot of them and I caught thousands of them um, in my life. And they're just, it, it kills me to this day. Like if one gets gut hooked, I don't know if he's going to live. So the circle hook, knowing that that's going to nine times out of 10, not be in the gut and be buried in where yeah. it needs to be and not come out and get away with lighter leader. Um, you know, there it's been, those been instrumental. Yeah. I think that for me, the, the being able to use the lighter leader it with the circle hook is as big a deal as the circle hook. Like I find that the circle hook hooks them better. You get penetration all the way through the, the hook, the fish's mouth rather than just, you know, the, the point of the hook just kind of poking into the hard bony part. But it seems to like most of the times it's going right through cause it's finding the corner and then it's getting in there and going all the way okay. through. So <clears throat> the hooking uh, you're hooked to them more securely, but because of that, the the rough area of the fish's mouth is often on the hook, so you can get by with a much much lighter leader. Oftentimes, meaning that you you're going to get a lot more bites. So I've liked that as a as a kind of a side benefit of the circle hook as much as as not gut as a conservation them. And part. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, conservation is very important. But getting a good hook in them is, I mean, I would use it. Just for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When it goes through the other side, it's not, it's not coming out. Like that's, that's the one thing when, especially with a, I almost could fight a fish a different way. When you know that it's bent over the drags, you know, the set, whether whatever you decide to set your drag and which is very important in fishing. But I, you know, I do a lot of, um, you know, I'll cut, I'm a cupper, you know, I have a light, pretty light drag where you're not going to set the hook most of the time, unless it's in the rod holder. If it's in my hand, um, it's, it's almost like a fly reel and I'm going to just, from so many years of fishing, I'm going to pop it and give it as much as it, I feel it needs to get the hook in. But once it, any, once it's in and it comes across, 
that's what I tell all my clients and the people I've ever fished with in my life before I was a guide and just telling my friends that I bring out with me. You hooked him. It's in a circle hook. He jumped. He's still on the line. You're good. He gets in open water. Don't pull on it. The, the hook is not, he's not going to shake it. He could jump up. He could do whatever he wants. But like you said, it's on the other side of the hook. It's not going anywhere. And right. then that's, you know, you could just walk him around and do it, you know, and <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a light drag guy <clears throat> and, and Rich is a, a heavy drag guy. So as we get together in the boat and fish together, all of our gear gets all intertwined with one another. So I pick up a reel and pull on the drag and it's really super heavy. So I back it off and on the other side of the boat, he's pulling on the drag and tightening it up. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I like the light drag personally. For, for tarpon fishing, I feel like you have to, no matter what, especially if you hook up to any size tarpon, if you have a set drag of anything and it might not be that tight. It could be, you'll, he'll be pulling on it and it's kind of coming out. But when the fish decides to blister off and gets deeper into your spool and he jumps, if you have, if you have no drag on there, like a fly reel, you could just play him as it, right. let it go, I let know. him plop back down, let him do it. And then you could come back on and do a, I just do a one in one. I palm and that's how I fight him and then let him go. But if you have it, pretty tight that's one thing they'll come up and yeah that, that, still i see pop that off. often with with guys fly fishing for them and they've got them hooked and and the fish is close to the boat and the fish jumps close to the boat and the 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 fish comes all the way out of the water the line comes all the way out of water and it starts bouncing like this as the fish is shaking his head and there's a tight drag and it just pops the hook right yeah. out. Bow, whatever you want. Yeah. It's it just pops it right out. That's where I feel like the light drag is the most effective. Like just just like you say, like just let them go, and that that fish just goes back in the water, and that hook stays exactly not, where it was. Not right? going you anywhere. You don't pull it. I don't know. That's that's what I've come to like that to do. But thing. when you give it, when you give that setup to somebody that has never had a setup like that, it can be a disaster because they're really no against track. the drag the whole time yeah, no they're making noise yeah so you know it's a fine line you just got to make it just tight enough for the client where they can kind of pull on it and then i've been trying even on novice that i've i've been lucky enough the past couple months even some people that never saltwater fished have and that's the best kind of client you could tell them to cut, hey, see this? Don't hold the line, but just put. See how you feel. You see how you moved it when you put your hand on the spool, <laughs> and it's not easy. But some, some will get it. They're like, oh yeah, zip pow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I see how that works. That's happened too. That's definitely happened too. <laughs> so, how did you make the transition from from a regular kind of recreational fisherman to to a guide? Um, oh. You know, I've always, I've always wanted, I didn't know why, I always knew I wanted to be a guide. Um, I just, uh, my family always are, they're both in the school board or retired now and they wanted me to, to go to college and, um, which I did and I got an exercise physiology degree and worked as a trainer and still do, um, for the last 12 years or so. And, you know, they would always just, you know, they're going to hate that I say this, but they, they did kind of frown, you know, on a fisherman, on a guide. Um, but you know, I, I didn't have, um, I didn't have a, my dad had a boat about 10 years ago. We had for a little while, we did a lot of offshore fishing with it. He had a 22 Sea Fox Bay boat. And that's where I did a lot of just kite when the kites before the electrical, I had the manual and we, I caught all kinds of, I go into, I did tournament fishing uh, in that period of time. I'll get into later if you want, but you know, just, I was a big offshore guy in that realm too. Um, but you know, I guess 
when I got, um, I started social media like four years ago with Instagram and I'd go out and did my, I had a little V 12, 13 foot V haul and I fished my, did my normal routine. And, um, I actually, I, before that I was on Facebook for a little bit. I was never on Facebook. I was like the last one. And then <laughs> the, like the very last one and probably within six months of being on Facebook, which Facebook's been around for five, 10 years before that. I, my buddy goes to me, David, you should, you're not, nobody's seeing that on your Facebook, you know, you're finally go try this Instagram out. And I'm never, I'm not technically sad that way. I've never been in the, I've always been behind, but I got on Instagram and I started just posting my tar, doing my day. And I always went solo. Most of the time, I didn't never want anybody to see my, I had my immediate friends. And if my four, three or four friends wouldn't want to go with me, I never invited new people. Cause it was a small <laughs> area with all these fish are at. And especially on Instagram, everyone wants to go out with you. So I just kept it. So I always went solo and I brought my iPhone and I, I didn't have a GoPro, but I would kind of one hand it and take a picture. And then I'd find the nearest person after I get a tarpon to go and take a picture with me of the, you know, in my boat. And I'd, you know, get towed around by this, you know, anywhere from, you know, monster hundred plus pound poons on this little boat, which is <laughs> a blight. I love it. Sometimes I go back to it and I miss those days of just being in a canoe or a little V-hole and the fish just tows me around. And I just had a troll right. and, have a, and um, it was the best. And, um, but I decided, um, you know, I started seeing people wanting me to go fishing, wanting me to go fishing. And, um, I would never do it. I mean, everybody and people, you start to make enemies. I'm like, I already likes my pages, but then I don't tell them all, all the, you know, you know, I'm not going to, I didn't never said that, but you know, you just don't. And, um, I, uh, I then knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. I started thinking to getting a boat. I was thinking about getting like a 16, 15, 16 foot boat and just guiding off of that. And then I talked to a lot of people and they said, it's very hard to guide off of that in, in here, just because, which is true, you know, the, the inlets are tough. There's a lot of moving water, a small boat for the client. You can't bring them on. So I decided about three years ago, I have to get a, a bay boat and I got a pathfinder, which I always wanted. I saved forever and it was, um, you know, not easy, still still doing my thing for it. But, um, so I, uh, I got, I got the boat and then I immediately, uh, you know, I said, I've been on all these tournaments my whole life. You know, I've been on the water my whole life. My dad had a boat for ten, eight years. We had an offshore boat. I was like, I got enough hours for it. And, um, everybody tells me, you know, captains are so smart and everything. I, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but some of the people at the time, you know, it's tough to get a captain's license. And then when you, to, you know, and, and you don't understand how hard it is, you know, it, I got a lot of doubt, but I went and I did it. And, um, the, the captain's school at a sea school in Fort Lauderdale. And I, uh, I did really well. I got like one wrong and like four sections. So I didn't, the, you know, rules of the road and all that, like one wrong. And, um, so I did, did got my license and then, um, and then that was it. And then that was, uh, the, you know, the, just the beginnings of it. And then I had to start, you know, um, making contacts and, and doing the, the, 
you know, the marketing aspect, which that's my biggest, you know. So you were, I mean, you said that your parents kind of didn't think this was a good road for you. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, so at that, I mean, how did, how do you, how old are you at this point? Uh, yeah, this was like three years ago. So I'm 30, uh, I was probably 36 or 30, I'm 39 yeah. now. So yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're a grown man, grown you can man. make your own decisions yeah. and, and all of that. So that, re- that really wasn't the, the issue, but making that leap. Well, I'm also interested in, in why, why you picked exercise science. Um, just been just so you're an athlete all your athlete life? my whole life yeah i played all i put my dad was the pop warner was playing tackle football when i was 14 and there's a linebacker all through high school and a basketball golf team in high school i just i love and lifting weights i just loved lifting weights since i was i could 13 14 when i they tell you it would stunt your growth back in the <laughs> i you know, know they would I, they would tell me <laughs> that, but i just i loved lifting and i was always just the you know trying to be the strongest in the class and we'd have our marks and that was you know to this day you know i lift if i don't i lifted this morning and i lift at least not as much as i like three days a week but that's my that's, and I just and I love the the slide the, the way the muscles work and how the body works and I was just fascinated. It, it was the coolest thing. I had such so, passion for it. Do you? I mean, is there anything to that? Like that weightlifting stunts your growth as a kid? Because I, don't think, I think that's the stupidest thing I've too. ever heard. Me too. I I, I mean, like <laughs> when my kids were little, I had them doing all kinds of stuff and. um and I would have these other parents be like, I don't know, I, I, they shouldn't be lifting weights. And I'm like, well, your kids are lifting weights. Well, no, they aren't. Like they got a backpack with books in it. They're walking around all day. That's lifting weights. Yeah. Like that is resistance. Resist- they're bouncing on the trampoline, right? That's resistance. They're lifting weights. That is lifting weights. Now I get it that, you know, you don't want, there's some ways that maybe a kid could hurt himself or something, but not with supervision. You're teaching them how to do it and everything. But I mean, I just always thought that was so stupid. Like yeah. resistance yeah. is resistance. Yeah. And, and I never got it. I, I don't, I, I, and it seems like, and, and I'm no exercise scientist and I didn't study it, but it just seems like that's the one thing that would actually make you grow. And they're saying that it's the one thing that stunts your growth. Yeah. <laughs> I just no, thought it was so funny. I, yeah. I don't know any of this. I didn't get too much of the science behind it, but I just, it just doesn't make sense. It, it, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Your body, you know, it reacts, it expands, your muscles stretch, you get longer. If I would think of anything, you know, yeah. you don't you get. Meanwhile, you know, in, in Russia and across farms all across America, kids are carrying uh, uh, bales of hay and, and buckets of milk and, and buckets of feed and everything like that when they're, when they're six years old. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. They didn't stunt their growth. Every time I, every time we played football or wrestled against the, the rural communities, they were all bigger and stronger than we were every single time. It's like, I don't think it's stunting their growth. It might make them grow a beard, but it's not, yeah. it's not stunting their yeah. growth. These people are strong and big and they were killing us. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and getting back to just and guiding now has just opened my eyes to a different uh, feeling and exhilaration with taking a client out and putting them on fish. Way it actually has uh, 
surpassed in many ways me catching my own fish. Yeah. 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 It really, it had, when I see that on somebody's acceleration, which I don't, I still get fired up, but not, I look back at the videos even five, 10 years ago. I used to get really ramped up with big fish. And now I feel like I got my big fish and to see the other guy get the big, their big fish and just constantly talk, I, it just brings it back to when I was there. And then to know that I did that and helped them do that and made that memory is, yeah, I, I love it. I love, I love it more than you get man. pretty excited. What? I mean, you get pretty excited. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine when you, when you, uh, get somebody of their biggest tarpon or their biggest snook or something that you would have to be really excited. Yeah. Yeah. No, then that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's the, the, you know, now I'm getting the, the every year in you cool down. And I think that's like everything is trying to, you know, anybody that's good at something, you've got to be real, you know, calm, cool and collective when it's going down, when the fish is jumping. I don't think I could have been a great guide in my twenties because I had so much passion for it and too much excitement not to deliver to my client because I'm so flushed, so caught up in the moment that I can't slow down right. and see what's going on and watching their hand calmly and telling them just angle, okay, walk to the bow, walk around here, walk around the motor. They're going to do this in a cool manner to make the experience happen. To make I think them- a lot of people that can't, um, do that in a cool manner. Also get frustrated really easy and they get uh, frustrated because the client is not catching the fish. Oh, <laughs> Killer. Killer. they're getting frustrated because the client um, is not catching the fish, but they're really, they want the client to catch the fish so bad, but then the opposite thing happens. The client thinks that they're upset with them and it just goes bad from there. Like, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think you're right though with, after you've seen a whole bunch of people lose fish and everything like that, you're kind of like, well, it's not going to do any good to get upset. In fact, that's going to take the morale in the toilet. So no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. It's kind of like fishing with a kid. Yeah. Let's get another one. Yeah. All, it's all like good. fishing with a kid though. I yeah. mean, even fishing with a 50 year old man is like fishing with it, a kid. Like, you know, they're, they're thinking they did something wrong. And if you tell them they did something wrong, then the trip goes down the drain. Oh yeah. But What's and the same insulted? thing with a kid. It's like, Oh, he got off. Oh, <laughs> cool. Let's catch another one. And, uh, that's what we're going to do to him anyway. We're going to let him go. Exactly. And then, the, then everything's cool, you know? Yeah. You just try to deflect it as best you can and yeah, just make the, you know, make them feel great no matter what. That's the whole, is they always say it's the experience. It's about, you know, being out there and, and having that experience with the hooked up and with the fish lost and just move on to the next. And usually that mentality, a lot of times the, the next fish will come quickly. You know, if you dwell on it, then, you know, it's, uh, yeah. In a tournament too, that's really, oh. that's really a big deal. I think is, and 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 other people think differently because some some guides or or captains in the tournament, they're very serious and they get very upset when a fish is lost because it means money. But I always think that that just just doesn't do well for the team. You know, like everybody knows it didn't go well. Like there's no reason to tell them again that it didn't go well unless there's a teaching moment there. But you said you did a lot of offshore tournaments too? Yeah, yeah. In my, uh, yeah, from probably like 03 or 04. Um, I was on the How You Reel and Fishing team, which does well now. Um, we didn't, they didn't for a long time, but for about, because, and I used to say, well, how do you throw in so much money in these, you know, Kingfish? <laughs> I used to love that Kingfish, uh, 
you know, uh, the cartoon, they have a mem of just Kingfish and the big boat and I don't know, but it, it, so that's just them. Um, uh, you know, still friends. I talked to the guy before I got over here and, um, yeah, I did a lot of, always was an offshore guy, like I said, and, you know, within my dad's boat, I got into, you know, using the stinger rigs and, you know, just mutton snapper fishing with the long leaders and yellow tailing. I always did that with, you know, balling with oats. And they showed me that when I was 13 or 14 to dump the water in the bucket with the oats and soak it overnight and, and, and all that stuff. So I always was, I loved offshore fishing. And, um, I did that for better part of 10 years with these guys. That's how I accumulated my hours for captain school. And yeah, I was always on the kite and, Saw, had great experience. It's a lot of longest, as you know, like we are on longest days, hard work. And, you know, unless you're really rewarded, it's, it's, and it's a lot of stress. Um, you know, just the captain, I get it. You got all this, you know, hundreds of dollars on goggle eyes and just, um, just the price of the tournament, everything, gas and the prep work. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I loved it when I, you know, it was, it was great. I, uh, I, enjoy, I enjoyed those moments of getting, big fish and, 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 you know, just placing never, never placed really high. Now they do the guys that I did, they're, they're, they're up yeah. there, but it takes time. Like anything, you know, you're, well, you got to figure it out. What do you think they figured out? Um, you know, a lot of it is just trial and error. Like you do with tarpon, like inshore bass fishing, every year fishing and trout fishing is figuring out exact it's so precise exact hook sizes exact size trace of wire exact which baits should you know um you know get the boats got bigger the the kite fishing having the having a team that could work together constantly is is huge if everybody's screaming the same thing like with client you know and you're talking if you're screaming at each other nobody's doing anything right but if you guys work cool nobody says a word you know what's going on and the more you do that you become a team. Mm -hmm. And so it's a combination of just messing up and doing things wrong and not having the, maybe having a hook a little too big, not the right model hook, not the right reel set the drags the wrong way. It's just little nuances. And the more you dial in, it's interesting to kind of look at, um, like doing a lot of different kinds of tournaments. I did a lot of the different inshore tournaments. And then when you looked at the, when you looked at the board at the end of the tournament, and usually in the red bone tournaments, they would actually have a physical board that somebody was riding like a dry erase, but it was like a Sharpie, right? Like it wouldn't come off. It was huge. And you could see every angler and every guide and every day and every fish they caught. And I would just stand there and look at that and just look at that board and study it. And the crazy thing was, is the top six guides were the top six guides in the next tournament. And they were the top six guys in the next tournament. Maybe you'd have a, a three or four that would kind of jump up and 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 kind of fall out. But there'd be about six or seven guides that were always there, even if they had different anglers. But there were teams that were always in the running. And, you know, I just found that so interesting when I was first learning about tournament fishing. I was like, what is it that these guys know that the rest of the field doesn't seem to or what is it that they're doing that the rest of the field isn't doing and you know like you just you just said it's not one thing it's a combination of all these factors that they've worked on all these details and then like i don't know i mean for me like especially in like the red bone type tournaments where you're after a slam or or something like that you're going out on a charter 
and you're after the best fishing that you can get for your client and the best experience that you can have for your client. And going into a tournament, the experience doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is getting the fish on the ruler or on or in on the boat or getting the picture of it or however the fish however it's scored in the live well for some tournaments. That's the only thing that matters. And so on a charter, you might not sit there for an hour waiting because you know when the tide changes, these fish are coming through here. You wouldn't do that maybe on a charter. Like no. it'd be super boring. Yeah. But in a tournament, like that's the only thing that matters. And if you have the right team, then the other person knows that too. And it's like, we sit here all day. I don't care. But the right we fish know. is going to come through here and it, it's going to happen. Right. And yeah. then when it does happen, we know we've got the right hook. We know we're using the right line. We know we got the right leader. We go, we got the right net. Everything is, everything's dialed in, but we're going to do things a lot differently than on a charter. And I always thought, you know, once we started doing, or I started doing well in the tournaments, I started realizing, wow, I'm fishing differently in a tournament than I would on a charter. And I think that's probably where a lot of people aren't. They're just in the tournament, you know, and they're trying to show their client a good time, which is for most of the clients in tournaments like that, like those red bone ones, they, that's what they want too. They want to, they want to have a good time, but there's, there's 12 anglers that want to win. Yeah. And it's a different approach. Yeah. Those are the ones that win. And I think the another just can't, you know, go without saying the most critical portion, once you've got all those things lined up and you've got the tackle, the boat, the bait, everything that you need, you need to find where they're, li where they, especially offshore tournaments. I don't know about inshore. I didn't do as much inshore side, not at all, but offshore, they move every day mm -hmm. and you've got to be connected with the charter boat captains, or you are a charter boat captain, right? And you have to communicate with a couple group of guys, get a close ones that you could really trust. And commercial fish, commercial, too. commercial is huge. You find those, and that's when you just you talk to that you you pre fish two days before to find out where they live, um, or where they you feel like they're at. But then somebody else pre fishes with you, and you guys are on the same team the day before, two days before, and they're telling you it's thirty miles north or forty miles north. You'll make that run wherever they are. But it's and you both want to be placed in that top three together. I feel like that's a lot of reason why those top five, like you said, or seven work together. I think like two of them on each side kind of just work with each other. And they're like, this is where they're at right now, because you could have everything, like I said. But if, you know, they're not there that they move, they're not there and you don't want to time is money. And you got to right. you got to that's why they have now four or five outboards and, you know, go 70, 80 miles and an hour. That's the fun. That's the interesting thing about the Kingfish tournaments too, is that they go so far and they're going, you know, so far, not because there aren't any Kingfish here, but it's that if you go over to this other area that other people aren't going to go, yeah, maybe they're much bigger, they're bigger, you know, for whatever reason, it always seems like whether it's a redfish tournament or a Kingfish tournament, the biggest fish are, way away from the dock. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why They're that is. Close. Like, why don't they, why don't we just have a tournament where the big fish are? That'd be sweet. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> but, but it always seems like they're, they're way far away. And like we used to go from uh, Louisiana over into, uh, or from Texas over back into Louisiana, because that's where the big redfish were. And like, it's a run that would take forever. Like you have an eight hour fishing day. You're going to spend three, uh, three hours running to the spot 
then you're going to fish for an hour, an hour. and run back yeah. and ho- with and and hopefully you have enough time to make it back. You don't get any weather or anything. That's yeah. the craziest way to fish. I mean, it's fun. It's in, it's full of adrenaline. It is stressful. It's rewarding. It's amazing. You 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 put your learning on turbo, like you start learning so much. But honestly, I'm I'm glad I did it, and I'm not sorry that I'm not doing it anymore. Exactly. Like I don't know. I mean, that's a I that's the a, same way. That's something that most fishermen that want to be good, they need to do that. Oh, absolutely. You learn uh, so much you know, so fast. Yeah, there's just there's so many components, and you know those. You know, fishing will always evolve and you'll need different from stainless titanium leaders and different, but for the most part, um, you know, even with the sail fishing, you know, it's the same stuff. You know, if you could do that and you're around a group, uh, I would say if anybody wants to start off fishing for any species of fish, fish for those guys that are, you know, tournament guys that, you know, you just on the boat for like two weeks or three weeks. If you figure out and you could kind of get a grasp of how long your leaders need to be and size <laughs> your hooks and the knot and what bait baits everything. You know, if you could catch, if you don't have to buy your hundred dollar dozen goggle eyes, but if you could just learn how to throw a net and, you know, you go. Yeah, up. but still, you know, if you take a, a, a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience and you put him on the best boat to see how those guys do it, I still don't think it's all going to sink in. No, it's because. A lot. What it, where it's really going to sink in is you get the captain that's been fishing next to you that watched you catch all these fish while he caught half as many or maybe none at all. And he knows we have the same bait. He knows that you're using the same gear. He knows, but there's something that's happening different. And if he got on that boat for 10 seconds, he would spot it and he would know exactly and he would take it back to his boat. Like that's what's interesting is like a beginner. They're not ready to accept that information where, where somebody that really knows and is fighting this battle, man, they see it and they know. And no, they only have to see. They only have to see, see one it. thing. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. look at that little hook. Look at that side. That's a little bit small. One size yeah. smaller than mine. Or yeah, right. what, that that just all those things. That's what I, you know. Um, you know, you always, that's what's great about social media. I'm trying to, you know, I don't, I haven't been around with a lot of guys, but I have a couple that, you know, I just learn. I'm just there to, and once you get it and you've been in the, like, a, you know, a captain, anybody that's fished for a long time, you got to, you know how to manipulate line and make a knot. So the meaning of the thing is like, what's that? And you hear a couple times you could tie it. And then that's what's so rewarding is just adding that bag of trick, you know, getting that next thing. And that's what just should be, you know, like yourself and every other great, great fishermen out there you know it's just learning just a little you'll never you'll have the you know you spend your whole lifetime you won't touch the surface well, you, on you, fishing you, you know i mean you never learn it all and then when you even just imagine like like a guy like ralph delf or or <laughs> kenny harris or or robert trossett and they know so much <laughs> and everything is monofilament and everything is is all monofilament they got that dialed and then here comes fluorocarbon and braid and here comes these, these chemically sharpened circle hooks. And here comes like, now it's almost like, okay, we need to learn some of these things again and we need to take everything we knew and adapt to this new technology. The rods change, the reels are changing, everything's changing. So we can do these things that we've always wanted to do. And, and those, you know, a, a person like that with so much experience can see braided line and go, hmm. all of a sudden he's thinking, 
there's about a thousand things that I could do with this that I, I know exactly what I'm going to do with this right now. And it's something different than somebody else is thinking. Like somebody else is thinking, wow, I can cast further. But those guys are thinking, oh, I'm going to set some world records. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could change that. So we're getting back to just how fishing involved with circle hooks and floor. I didn't mention braid, but braid was the biggest, I'd say that number one thing that changed the inshore, uh, offshore as well, but offshore, we'll, we'll get into whatever in a minute, but inshore, you know, to, to deal with, you had to go, you know, no more than, I use 12 pound mono most of the time on these tarpon, maybe 15, max 20. I never used even 30. So I would go that to my leader. And then I, now I could go and use 30, 20, 30, 40 pound braid, 50 pound right. braid. But there was a reason why um, 12 pound was kind of max for a lot of, a lot of people. Or twelve, maybe fifteen. Yeah. If you went to twenty, it was you were having to use this reel. I mean, if you go back and look at the reels you used to use in the in the you know in the nineties, even the nineties, yeah. the Pen SS seventy five, eighty five, and put twenty pound test on that and try and hand it to a customer and say, here, throw this you know jerk bait over there. There's no chance, and the rod's huge, and it just. Braid changed all of that. Like all of the reels now shrank because you could get more capacity on a smaller reel. Then when the reels shrank, the rods changed too. The rods got thinner and lighter and still just as strong, but with a tip that you could cast. And all of a sudden, just there were massive changes. I mean, and it it changed everything because now, I mean, especially when you have like a, a kid, now you can hand this kid. 12 or 15 pound braid on a rod that they can handle and they're not going to break the fish off and you know they can cast that changes everything yeah and yeah and it's and it's just so much more fun who wants to get called on to a big rod now we have these little you know rods that are half the size reels that are half the size with probably three or four times more power than our big rods back then it's just it's so cool i know it it, it makes it to look back they're like you don't know what i talk about old you know the old days but it was it was hard they had like 12 pound mono but you got to play that thing to death and that's better on the fish again going back to conservation you got to play them to death to to actually catch them now you could put some some landing a hundred pound tarpon on 12 pound monofilament i mean people were really good at it yeah. they were very very good at it because and and you know they would be like i'm not fishing with 16 that's crazy like that's like <laughs> it's like rope you know but those guys they were really good at it but there was so much stretch in the line and the rods were were certainly nothing like they are today i mean fiberglass rods and and super stretchy monofilament it's not easier but it's so different than than we fight fish today and with braid and fluorocarbon, there's almost zero stretch. And then the rods are super fast and super, um, you know, strong and, 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 and stiff while being able to throw and you can lift. Yeah. Yeah, And you can lift a heavy fish with a, a rod that was smaller than a bonefish rod. Not that long ago. It's really, it's really cool. And, and I always think about those kind of changes, when, when people talk about like, you know, how fishing has changed and in some ways fishing has gotten a lot more difficult, but in other ways it's gotten way easier. Like as far as the gear goes, like the gear we're using now is just, it's it's phenomenal. Yeah. I I love that part. And, uh, 
yeah, just in, and now, uh, you know, we, uh, you could go back, you know, even, uh, I went and, and, uh, just a little mini story. I went my biggest freshwater tarp and I just got, uh, not just, it was a couple of years ago. I was in a canal with a bass rod that I've always fished and hooked up with tarpon in the past. I don't do a lot of, since I've been doing saltwater fishing, I don't go in the canals to tarpon fish, but, um, I went out, uh, in a place that I saw them rolling and it was the C11 canal. Everybody could go there and there was people <laughs> that came there like the next day I had it on video and I'm throwing this, uh, you know, it's just a zoom, uh, a big jerk, big plastic 10 inch jerk bait the, the day before. And they're blowing up. There was a school of them. They blew, they blew up from one side of the canal all the <laughs> way to the thing. It was the coolest thing. Came back the next day, got a couple um, finger mullet from a freshwater spot, threw them over there. I had, tw- I had 20 pound braid, which is big, but it was on a 4,000 reel and a bass rod. And uh, 25 pound test fluorocarbon leader. So it's, it's like my light. I did a lot of that light. There's pretty big snook that hang out in there too. I've caught them up to about 30 something inches and they're nice for all in dark old wave out West Broward. And, um, I hook up with this probably 70, close to 70 pound tarp in, wow. in the canal and the canal. And he goes, this is one of the coolest stories that one of my best, it's, you know, it's on the, the top 10 and I'm on a, using a one odd hook, not even a one Oh, one odd little bass hook. And it, it, it hooks J hook and it hooks him right in the button and he jumps. And then there's two sets of, uh, bridges, uh, that goes across, um, the canal and the fish jumps and, it, it was my fish. My friends say, Hey, my friend has it on GoPro. It's on my Instagram now, but it goes through the inside of the, it doesn't go in the middle. There's the middle. It takes the inside route and I could barely fit under the bridge, but I took my flip flops off <laughs> and I ran all the way across to the, and he, I coaxed him and he just went that inside pass came to the other side. There's trees hanging out. It's allergy infested waters, which I knew that they're monsters in there. And I, whatever I was in waist high, swamp water and came around the you know all these trees that were hung up and i'm barely i'm got it and i made it like a mile down the canal and uh but i managed to get to to land the fish and i got a buddy and my i had a another tournament guy actually actually saw me um my friends calling everybody to come on over and it was like an hour plus later and uh and my friend grabbed it on and took the, he's like, this is your hook. And he <laughs> looks at this little one on a hook. And, um, but I got it because of the 20, I wouldn't have a bass tackle with 20 pound braid back, you know, back in the days, I wouldn't be able to use that little rod and reel. Right. I'd have the big 8,500. So that was, you know, but yeah, it's definitely, it's changed the game. And, uh, yeah, that's, I just, those moments, you know, there's nothing that, nothing that comes close to that and in you know outside of family and and love and and all that stuff but as far as like pure just enjoyment of something to do for me that exhilaration that stays with you a day or two after <laughs> something that you know any big fish as you know that you catch it's just it's like this i don't know i don't i guess they say some just have it in them and not like maybe someone would just brush it off but you know that's why we catch them because our focus is you know 10 times more and we just can't we, we couldn't fathom because we've all done it losing those fish right. and fighting them for a long time and so you just kind of i think all the senses just slow down you know rather than uh, you know so uh no it's a it's a beautiful sport we have that's that's i'm glad i'm so glad now i could take it over for 
for other people to enjoy like I did. That's hopefully. cool. So what's on the horizon for you? Um, hopefully going full time, you know, going 200 plus days a year is, is my goal. And to get out of the training. I love training and um, it might always stay with me, but at this point in my life, I think I'm ready to grind it out for the, it's just in my, I was, you know, I uh, say this, my, my coworkers and my clients are going to hear me now, but like I had a client yesterday and I, and now it's the point where I have to, you know, and I will, and I tell them I got to take off the day, you know, somebody's coming and I'm transitioning to taking off that day to go on the trip. So I'm have, which thank God I have that flexible schedule with being, I have these clients that went from corporate. Now I'm in a studio setting to where I could just tell them they want the best for me. They want me to be happy and they'll work with my schedule. So now that's what I'm doing a lot is just taking off, even if it's spur of the moment and going there. But I'd like to get to the point where, you know, I'm just, you know, but just going full, going hard and just makes you that much better angler. If you're on the water, only, twice a week or every other you eat and just a couple times are fun. But if you're out there every day, I can't, I mean, you know, you just, you know, you know, where the baits at, where everything is. It makes, that's why I always say it makes it a lot harder for me. A lot of times is because I'm not out there every single day. Cause so I have to, Oh, they were here five days ago or six days ago. Things change right. all the time. I, I have a, I've been there my whole life. So I have a lot of areas to go to, but I don't like, sir, you don't want to serve. You want to just be on them immediately i don't want to go where they were two two weeks ago and then oh i gotta you know check this spot out so but yeah and that's my goal is to do that and you know um you said some kind words to me when i met you the first time in lunker con month back you said you know go if you want the boat you know get the sponsor or the you know the tv show anything you know you you know get after it. it means a lot that's what i ultimately would love to just just go as high as fishing platform will take me. Cause it's never worked. It's definitely, I love training. I love it to death. Um, but I truly, I was battered yesterday. I wake up for training this morning. I don't care. I'm like, I'm always on a high. It's like, no matter, even when I'm, even when I'm doing it, the clients don't even want it as much. I'm like re-rigging lines, switching over this 30 pound to 40 pound to 50. Oh, what do they want? And just constantly, I just, I try not to talk too much. I'm just trying to make it, happen and that's um you know and it's it's a beauty it's i'm i'm glad i'm blessed with this uh, beautiful sickness or whatever you want to call it because <laughs> it, it definitely it uh you know it's uh it's a great and it's a beautiful thing so yeah no hopefully i um i'm around for a long time and make it an impact and just make my mark kind of in the industry and yeah well you're 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 on your way oh, that's for okay. sure Thank um you. so how does somebody get a hold of you um, they call me on my phone number at a nine, five, four, six, eight, four, four, six, seven, seven, or, um, go on my Instagram at captain C A P T David Cohen, D A V I D C O H E N and, um, DM me and, um, and I'll cater to whatever time you want to go. So do you, um, do you fish at night? Like jeff maggio all the yeah, time yeah yeah like both. a vampire but yeah i do it both <laughs> i do yeah i'll do the i'll do the you know say i don't fish like from 12 i don't do like the 11 to 4 or 5 a.m usually but i'll fish you know seven o'clock six seven o'clock till one you know mm. one a.m and as long as uh you know fish are always at least where i go they're they're always there whether it be 
you know, it's just where they are. You know, if it's a t- some areas, they're very tide driven. Some areas, they're recreational fish that are or residential fish that are in back little waters and tide doesn't really affect them. I think they hang out there all year and they're just, they're just always there. And um, so it's just a matter of what you want to do first and, you know, what you want to target. Obviously, they're just bigger fish certain times of year than others. But we're blessed in Miami that they're year round. You get tarpon every single day. I look back, there's there's tarpon <laughs> to be caught, which is I don't know how many places in the world that have that, you know, where you go at any given day and pretty much have a really good shot at, at least hooking up with a tarpon. And yeah. A, I mean, that's what I've, I've, I've never really fished Miami as much as, as, as I should have, but after talking with Russell Kleppinger, after talking with Jeff Maggio and yourself, like learning like more about the, what I would consider off season tarpon, like you're, you're saying every day of the year. Every day. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I always, I always, I thank God for the, my phone. You know, you go back, I just look at my phone. I don't even have to check my Instagram post, but I just checked my phone for the last four or five years. And I could see the dates, like, especially when I fish a lot, like every single time of the year, a couple times of the, each week you get tarpon or snook. It's hmm. that like, and it just, it's, you got the October, the fall that just passed. We're getting into the shrimp run, which is going to be phenomenal. And from you know now until February really kicks off. And then the spring run comes in in March and April and May and June and July. It just to get, you know, in June and by July and August and September, I consider that a little smaller. There are big fish around, but it's a little smaller. And starting to be from fall until all these winter tarpon, they happen to be really big tarpon. They're historically, yeah. they're all triple digit, you know, most right. of the time. So, um, yeah, it's just a matter of matching the hatch, fishing shrimp this time of year from the mullet are still around here for, I used them yesterday. They're still around, but guys remember that the ch- on the shrimp run, when there's not much, if you get a couple mullet and you're shrimp fishing, they'll eat the dead bait on the bottom <laughs> because they're, they're still, it's cold and it's just, it's chilling there. So, but yeah, there's a, uh, Oh, it's a beautiful and we have we have big snook not just to talk tarpon we have big snook you know this whole time the big spawn some people say you have to go to jupiter and north florida and i catch 40 plus inches you know more i think we caught you know a couple months back four over 40 so wow. we caught you know four you know 40 we might have 42 43 you know there's there's lunkers there yeah, yeah. Right on, man. Right on. Well, we'll have to get out on the water. I wanted to do it on this trip. I got held up in Sarasota. I was picking up a new boat and uh, talking to those guys over there, Heath, about the skiff challenge um, and uh, didn't get over here in enough time. But next time we'll go. I'm going to go to the special lake. Yeah. No, you will. (laughs) You will. I'll take you right there. All right. I want to go to the 35-foot ledge, and I'll sit there as long as necessary. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) All right, David. Uh, Well, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. If you guys are looking for somebody to fish with in Miami, David, man, sounds like awesome. I I can promise you you're going to have a good time, man. You're smiley. No. Well, no, I love you it. like I to have a life. good time I do I do and I enjoy it out there way more than just I love talking about it just as much as fishing but when I'm out there I, I love it alright so. alright well look him up alright see you join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. 
A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.